that's a growler. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Letty. And welcome to another episode of Popcorn and Pickles. Tonight, we're going to be turning the clock back. I like the sound effect. All right. So suddenly you just gave me flashes of all the clocks in Doc Brown's uh, laboratory from Back to the Future. But uh, (laughs) we're not going that far back. We're going to go back to July 15th, 1994. I believe President Bill Clinton was in office. Yeah. Where were you at the time? 1994, I was in Dayton, Texas, uh, going to school, intermediate school, but not at school. I was at home, so homeschool. Oh, okay. How old were you at the time? Do you remember? Can you tell us? Or Oh, you don't have 12. to reveal your age. Oh, you were 12. So, 12. okay. So, doing the math, you are approximately 39? I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so... 1994, summer of 1994, I had just started working at the General Cinema Corporation. General Cinema 6 is what it was called, Cross Point 6. And we didn't get this movie. Uh, this movie went to a competing theater uh, across on the other side of the All-American Freeway where, where I was in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And that was at a car mic. So I remember Forrest Gump went there, and which was the number one grossing movie of that year at that time i believe things have changed since lion king has been released a few times since then um lion king was two that was at our theater and then number three was true lies so here we have true lies by james cameron fresh off of terminator 2 hit success uh i think that was a 91 maybe 90 i don't remember so uh going into this movie did you have any expectations here i grew up watching Arnold on the screen. I mean, this guy personified what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I guess you could kind of say he was, he and Sylvester Stallone, I mean, they were the competing guys at the time. I mean, the the idea that they would ever do a movie was insane together. But yeah, so I grew up idolizing and, and deifying Arnold Schwarzenegger in many ways. So how about you? Well, it's interesting that you ask about Arnold specifically because I knew that he was in the Terminator. I knew he was, you know, the Terminator. And what's that line? I'll be back. Yes, I'll be back. So that was kind of, you know, something that kids would quote or whatever. So I remember that. I don't think I ever watched a complete Terminator movie in my youth. I probably wasn't allowed to, but I know I had seen bits and pieces just from my dad or whoever watching it on TV. Um, And I think I've watched a Terminator movie as an adult, but nothing I was really that much into. And so it's funny because when I think about Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, I think of him as governor Schwarzenegger and, you know, he's this kind of older dude. And part of me in my mind is like, what's all the hype about? I mean, he kind of has a funny accent. I just don't get it. I just, I don't really get it. And so when you said Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this movie, I thought like, okay, you know, maybe it'll be decent. The Terminator movies I was never like super excited about, but I was willing to give it a shot. And I'll just say, you know, since we haven't really gotten into the movie yet, I can see why he was such a big star now because I thought, man, this guy really is a stud. He really has a lot going on for him. 
Yeah, yeah, he definitely does. So let me give even a little bit more context since you were talking about the governor, uh, the governator, or whatever they called him. Interestingly, my dad uh, was a bodybuilder. And so I grew up very much like Arnold Schwarzenegger did. I read his biography, or I think it was an autobiography. He was assisted with it. But I read this story, and and he grew up looking at comic books. And in the back of these comic books were these ads of Charles Atlas's bodybuilding program or whatever. And so that's what inspired Arnold to eventually become a bodybuilder because he uh, found that by 14, 15 years old, he had natural size. And so uh, it wasn't hard for him to do that. And that's what he hoped would plunge him out of poverty. And it totally did. So here I am having seen him from a very young age. And now for me, I believe that this movie definitely represents the pinnacle of his career as an action star as a box office draw and and the year before he had released a a movie that had an interesting plot um about an action hero coming out of the movie very similar to the purple rose of cairo it was called the last action hero but it totally bombed at the box office so here he's reunited with james cameron from uh, the terminator days and they're attacking a very interesting almost uh for shadowing or uh, even prophetic if some people want to go that far uh, as far as the uh, involvement of the United States government with terrorists because that's that's kind of what the, the plot line addressed and that's where it took us. Yes, and that was kind of interesting to say the least. I did not know anything about this movie. I think I've heard the title True Lies before, but I had no idea anything about it. So going into it, I had no idea what we were getting into. But do we even want to talk about the plot or can we assume that most people are not like me and know what this movie is about? Yeah, let's just move along. Let's just keep going. So I'm the only one who didn't know anything about what this movie is about. So just very briefly, it's a spy movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger action uh, type movie. And I think that it's interesting that you say that because Jim James Cameron, I think he goes Jim as well. Whatever. I'm sure I'll go back and forth throughout the podcast calling him Jim and James. Anyway, so James Cameron said that True Lies was first and foremost a love story. Interesting. But I can see that uh, because so the movie starts out, you know, big action scene. Then, of course, Arnold is chasing the bad guys or he identifies, you know, that something's going on. They're trying to be trying to find these spies. There's a and then there's the scene where he's, you know, in the bathroom. He kills the two guys. The third one gets away, you know, and then it jumps from that to all of a sudden we are spying on his wife and what she's doing. Oh, oh, you forgot to mention the tango. The dude was doing the tango. We got to bring that up. Yes, very impressive that Arnold can dance. Although, didn't he do Dancing with the Stars at some point? No, not Arnold. I think Tia Carrere, who he did the tango with in this movie, I do believe that she did Dancing with the Stars. I'm quite sure she did. Yeah, the tango I thought was interesting. After the fact, I went back and and read something that said that Arnold practiced the tango for six months and that his goal was to look as good and as debonair as 
Al Pacino did in 1991's uh, Ascent of a Woman. I have to say, I was so impressed with Arnold's tango dancing both times. So he tangos at the beginning and at the end. And I was watching very carefully to see if I could pick up on him, you know, being hesitant at all or unsure of what he was doing. But he looked like a pro. So all those lessons paid off. He did look really good. One of the things that crossed my mind, which I thought was strange um was in the end when he was dancing with his wife played by jamie lee curtis i thought wow he's such a huge dude that that tuxedo jacket the dinner jacket the white one he was wearing wow how much material did they need sometimes (laughs) i think about that when i'm watching uh, the nba and i'm i'm watching Shaq, and i'm thinking how much material is needed to make a suit for that one guy anyway so I was thinking, that's a lot of material for that jacket. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. Can we jump in and talk about Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, go ahead. So I think I know her name. I don't really know anything that she's been in. I know, obviously, she's a pretty famous and acclaimed actress. However, seeing her in this movie, I thought, oh, maybe this was early on in her career and she wasn't that big of an actress yet because she just looks so dumpy and homely in these first few scenes that we see her. I mean, she's got shorter hair, just her haircut. I mean, she really did look like a librarian or a school teacher, big glasses. And just, I just thought, man, they couldn't pick a better looking woman to play. I mean, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's obviously handsome. And I feel like they picked this ugly actress to play his wife. And I just thought, really? Why did they pick her? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. And then as we're going through the movie and he's all upset about her, that he thinks she's cheating on him and he gets more and more worked up about it. I'm thinking, she's not that cute. Like, let it go, man. What's he worried about? Yeah, like, come on. You could have any girl you wanted and you're worried about this woman. Like, she's not even that pretty. And so, and then as the movie progresses and she's starts you know thinking that she's helping out the cause and having to play this role and then you get to the scene and i'm jumping around so i apologize for anyone who hasn't watched this movie but you get to the scene where she's pretending to be a hooker and she has to go and dance for mystery guy which of course is arnold her husband but she doesn't realize this and so she's but just when i saw her without her glasses and she had fixed her hair and she's wearing the dress and she rips off part of the dress to make it look more sexy when she finds out what she has to do i thought wow she really she really cleans up and then she takes off the dress and you see her in just you know her underwear or panties and her bra and i thought Okay, yeah, like she's definitely good looking. I can see why they put her in this role. So she cleans up really nicely. I was so impressed by her. So just to see those two different sides between, you know, basically playing boring librarian mom to, you know, being uh, nervous and embarrassed about doing something that she obviously wasn't comfortable with, you know, in the role, obviously not as an actress, but, you know, in the role, that's what she had to play. And then from being thrown in onto all these action scenes at the end and having to like fend for herself and do, I mean, just the range that she displayed and played. I was just so impressed by her performance and, you know, by her transformation mysteriously of her body from being like no figure to all of a sudden having like boobs and a butt. And, you know, <laughs> by the way, I would never wear the underwear that she's wearing. They're very the old fashioned. <laughs> it was hilarious. I mean, it was supposed to be sexy, but those we're just were her own underwear. Like, I mean, the actress, Jimmy Lee Curtis, those, uh, it, I read that that was her own underwear. <laughs> uh, well, I hope she wasn't wearing somebody else's. 
Well, you know, it's so funny because my my context is so completely different. So Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, I knew she was a pinup queen, pinup princess, I guess, of the 70s after she starred in a movie called Halloween. And that she has a very famous pair of boobs uh, that were finally unveiled in a movie called Trading Places, strangely. Trading places of all movies. And I saw that in ninth grade. On top of that, she was in a movie with John Travolta that had something to do with aerobics or being super fit or something. It was called Perfect. And I do remember their, uh, the, the poster for that and her being in some kind of, I think it was like an exercise leotard, but she was super fit and everything. So I totally knew who she was going into this movie. And I, uh, I, I had seen it before, but it had been several years. I really don't remember the last time I watched this, and I had forgotten a lot of the details. Uh, one of the things I did remember was the performance by uh, the late Bill Paxton, who uh, was playing Simon, the one who was pulling uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's Helen into the, the fray, or at least she thought. Creepo. He was awesome, you know, and I remember when I saw this movie thinking this dude should have won an Academy Award. I mean, Bill Paxton, the guy is all over the place from being a bully big brother in in weird science to being uh, one of the Earp brothers in in, uh, Tombstone. He was the star of Twister. Uh, when when he passed, he was playing the the bad guy in this CBS reboot of Training Day. I mean, this guy has some range. Another movie that I really enjoyed him in was uh, as the the drill sergeant in Edge of Tomorrow. So this guy has such incredible characterization, I think. And he just played. I mean, he has the '90s haircut. He's it's slightly greasy. He's got, you know, a missing tooth, but he then comments about how great his dental work is. I mean, the guy is a total <laughs> slime ball. Yes, he was in this movie. He, he was for sure. I love lines like, I couldn't take you to the penthouse in Manhattan or the castle in London. We're going to have to settle for uh, my mobile home here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was funny. He called it his, the safe house. This is the, the safe, safe house. house. I couldn't go to my regular residence. <laughs> Speaking of safe house, let's, let's transition into... Uh, the performance by Art Malik. Man, did he nail the terrorist dude to a T. Interestingly, I as I looked at him, I thought, he, he kind of looks scary. Um, it, it, it was neat to go back and look at his IMDb credits and to see he has steadily worked. Uh, so I think that uh, the conflicts with the, the U.S. government and things that are going on in the Middle East has probably served well for him. Um, but he definitely, I mean... Didn't he look like one of those guys that you would see on CNN, like one of those photos? I mean, he looked scary. He did. He looked very scary. In that whole speech where he's talking about Crimson Jihad, I mean, it kind of gave me chills just thinking this was seven years before 9-11. I mean, probably eight, maybe eight and a half years when they were filming it. So, ooh, you know, kind of kind of creepy, but it was really funny when... As he was making a speech, the battery for the uh, video camera died. And I just imagined that happening to a lot of people today. <laughs> well, and I just felt so bad for the cameraman because he was so apprehensive about even saying anything. And you could tell he was just like, oh, do I, what's going to happen to me if I admit that this battery just died when he's trying to give his big speech? 
So uh, one of the things that I remember about this movie is the use of Harrier jets. Now, I don't remember if if it's the first time that they were seen publicly. I don't know what, but I, I mean, they're, they're a pretty, I mean, they're a marvel of innovation. I mean, we're talking about airplanes that function, that have the functionality of a helicopter. Yes, that was pretty impressive, especially as someone in the aviation field. I don't think I've seen Harrier jets this close before. I obviously haven't worked with them yet. And so <laughs> I was very impressed with their capabilities or maybe it was movie magic, but I imagine that most of that was, was real. I read that, I'm trying to remember, was it, I think it was $2,400 an hour that they had to pay for those things. That's crazy. And uh, was very curious. Now, I did do some research after the fact and couldn't find anything that confirmed, but I ne- never found anything that denied it either. But I was wondering if Arnold got trained in flying a Harrier jet and if in some of those shots he was actually flying a jet. No, I did find that they did build the largest green screen for a Harrier jet that they built to scale for up close uh, shots of the climactic scene in the end. So there was um, some green screening and, and, and they were on a, uh, um, they said that it was being controlled by a crane attached to the building next door. So that, that's how they, you know, made it move. Um, so I guess it was kind of like a huge, huge mechanical ball. Hmm, interesting. Now, one of the things we talked about earlier as well was Arnold Schwarzenegger and he doing all of his own stunts. Isn't that correct? You said that uh, Arnold does all of his own stunts for himself. I think, I mean, at least that's the Hollywood legend that he does all of his own stunts or that at least most of them. Yeah. Which is crazy. I think because he's doing some pretty impressive feats in this movie. I'm not sure how old he is here, but I know he needs his late forties, maybe even 50 when they're making this movie. I'm not sure, but it was incredibly impressive. Now let's talk about what did you think of that scene with the horse? And oh my gosh. Chasing the dude in the motorcycle through a hotel. So I, I did want to talk about this scene with the horse. Mostly because the whole time I'm watching it is I'm thinking, please get off of the horse. I get so paranoid when I see horses in movies, especially up close and they're doing something action because I just think, I hope they didn't hurt the horse when they were filming this. And I know that they don't and they're really careful with the animals. But that's my my paranoia, even in the if it's movie magic, I just don't want to see the, the animals get hurt. So I was paranoid for the horse more than I was for Arnold as he's running through thinking, like, first he's going under trees and he's in a building. Then they get onto an elevator. Really? In an elevator? How do they even fit in there with two other people, <laughs> the old people? Well, and as quickly as they were moving, I mean, he was, he, he, he took the, the horse Right into the elevator. So not only did the horse have to duck, he had to duck. That was insane. Now, I did find out that his horse was played by four different horses, all of which had different skills required for the scene. And I think that it's interesting because I did see at the end the little PETA symbol that no animals were harmed during, during the filming of this. But I do remember, do you remember a little dog? He got yanked around a couple of times and I was thinking, dang, you know, they, they're going to, you know, make sure that the horse is treated well. But that little dog, I, I like, he yelped a few times, didn't he? Ooh, I don't know. They just kind of jerked his chain 
Not to be funny, know. but that's I exactly what happened. A little doggy. That was kind of messed up. So <laughs> now we also, uh, this I believe is one of the first screen appearances of Eliza Dushku. I remember her from playing kind of the bad girl role in the um, cheerleading movie Bring It On. But she went on to pretty big fame for people that watched her on a, a TV show. I guess she played a special agent in a TV show called Dollhouse that was on Fox. I didn't recognize her at all. Okay, so, all right. She didn't mean anything to me. I mean, not that she didn't do a good job, but she's just typical teenage role. Typical teenage angst, you know. Yeah, generic. I hate my dad kind of thing. Generic uh, teenage daughter stuff. Right. Now, Tom Arnold playing Gil, the comedic sidekick, he's fantastic. I thought it was awesome to learn that... uh, James Cameron had to go to bat for him because of his highly publicized marriage to Roseanne. Apparently it had brought a lot of negative public backlash against his reputation and 20th Century Fox did not want him participating in the film. But James Cameron wanted him so badly that he threatened to pull the plug and finally they relented and I mean what we see was magic and and it's interesting to note that he and Arnold are, are good friends and and from what others have said, when, when they're together, they have a very similar chemistry as they did in the movie. That's awesome because I thought their chemistry was so much fun. And I just feel like if you cut the movie up and you only showed the scenes that had the two of them together, you would get like all the best parts of the movie. Oh, they, they made a great buddy pair. They really did. I mean, I would, I would love to watch another movie with just the two of them. And I was wondering if they had made another movie, obviously... They have not, correct? I don't think so, no. Believe it or not, I mean, he was trying to stretch his range. He really, really was. So think of, here you had this guy who was big and brawny who came on from from Conan, and everybody knew him for being a bodybuilder, and then he got cast as a an Austrian-accented uh, android in The Terminator. So this guy was actually trying to extend his, his range. So he, he had done a movie called Twins with Danny DeVito and where he was really good at comedy. So this was a perfect blend, I thought, of both action and comedy, which also had a a bit of this kind of uh, dangerous liaison kind of Mr. and Mrs. Smith to it, you know, with the couple being Doris and Boris as, 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 you know, a family of spies. (laughs) Yeah, I I enjoyed his performance. And so not to be forgotten, I wanted to also talk about Grant Heslop before we move on, because he's kind of the third wheel that you almost don't notice, but he was really funny as well in all of his scenes. He had some great lines. He really did. And I remember seeing him kind of all over the place at the time. I have not gone back to see if, you know, he's stayed busy, if he's retired from acting or what he's doing. But uh, Art Malik, I thought was funny because I like a show that comes on Showtime called Homeland. And this is a show that Letty is not at all interested in. I guess it's a little too real, strikes a little too close to home. But I commented as we were watching this movie, wow, he would be awesome on Homeland. And it was funny to find out that he is, in fact, this season's Homeland. (laughs) Um, I think that is all the major players in this movie, except for Arnold. I don't know that we really talked about him and his performance what did you think as you you're probably more familiar with more Arnold movies than I am oh I thought he I mean again this was a culmination of really all of his talent we had you know the the brawniness where he's running around with a torn shirt on I was surprised that he didn't 
go completely shirtless. I mean, I remember movies like Predator, Commando, um, in, in his early films, I mean, it was all about the brawniness. And so it was kind of shocking that he just ran around in a strip shirt. What were your thoughts? I was so impressed. I have to say that prior to this, Arnold Schwarzenegger, eh, not that interested. Now I want to go back and see more of his earlier work when he was younger and just, I mean, he's funny. He's obviously not bad to look at. I mean, his accent just kind of makes it even a little bit more funny when he tries to say things. You know? <laughs> so I, I kind of get a kick out of that. But And I thought he played, I knew he was going to do, you know, cop and action. I expected those to, to come off well. But some of my favorite scenes were when he is interacting with Jamie Lee Curtis as the husband. And I mean, I was not expecting comedy. I was expecting you know, I'll be back or I will get you or, you know, the line he has at the end where he says, you're, you're fired. fired. You know, <laughs> I was expecting that to be throughout the whole movie. Funny that he would later uh, host uh, the celebrity apprentice and he had to say you're terminated. But he said Donald's line, you're fired in this movie. Right. And so I was not expecting the comedy. I was thrown off by that. I was not expecting the grace, like with the dancing and just the suave. Uh, so. Yeah, I was I was really impressed. He was awesome in this. Now he goes on. I did not see this movie. He goes on to to pair up with Danny DeVito, I believe, and Emma Thompson in the the next subsequent year to do the movie Junior, where he plays a man who becomes a medical marvel as he's the first pregnant man. And so, so uh, that that did not go over well with the box office, and <laughs> so proved to be a little progressive for its time. Too progressive. But but he did some other fun movies like uh, Jingle All the Way. I know he got a lot of flack for that, but that starred uh, Jake Lloyd as his son, who would later go on, sadly. Uh, to play Anakin Skywalker. And I say that sadly just because he's kind of become a cautionary tale in Hollywood. It's just kind of sad um, that he hates being known for playing Anakin Skywalker when he was thinking it was going to be a breakthrough performance for him. But he played the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger who wanted, I think it was Turbo Man. I think that was the name of the character. And so there's all this comedy between he and Sinbad as they're running to stores. And, and, and this was, I believe, uh, piggybacking on the t Tickle Me Elmo phase as well. So, uh, but back to this movie, Arnold, 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 Arnold. I have not seen any of the movies that he's released since he's left the governor's office. I would love to see him team up with James Cameron again, because these guys made some serious magic together. And, you know, in many ways, think of him as my generation's John Wayne. Eventually, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences gave what many people think was a sympathy Oscar to John Wayne for his performance in True Grit. I kind of wish they would do that for for Arnold. You know, they gave a Oscar to Walt Disney very early in his career for the creation of Mickey Mouse. Back then they used to do to do that. They even gave him a special Oscar with seven miniature Oscars for all of the technical breakthroughs that were made in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So I feel like the Academy should, you know, we should go back and, and celebrate these guys. I mean, look at Stallone, you know, the guy's still making Rocky movies. I mean, and he looks amazing. I mean, we all know 
we don't know what we don't know. How about we just say that? But, uh, I mean, the, these guys are still in great shape, and I would love for a great script to come around and, and for them to reprise these roles. Even if they did a crossover where they had Stallone and this character, Harry, from True, uh, True, uh, True Lies, I think it would be fantastic. Well, let's just say that while we're waiting for that to happen in the future, don't be too surprised if you hear some more reviews on some old Arnold movies coming up. Possibly. I think it's funny that you brought up a comedy because that was something that was so different from the first Terminator movie. Arnold had become so popular in the public that they needed to do something to shift gears because in the Terminator, he played the bad guy. He was the robot that was trying to keep a future resistance fighter from being born. And so he went back in time, or he was sent back in time, to take out this guy's mother before she got pregnant with him. So it's really Linda Hamilton's story and uh, Sarah Connor and her being chased by this menacing, scary, uh, at one point even completely naked Arnold Schwarzenegger. But they changed gears in Terminator 2. They had to do something to make him a good guy. Not only did they make him a good guy, but they gave him a lot of great lines as far as comedy was concerned. Now that you mentioned that, I do remember that about the storyline. I think maybe I've only watched Terminator 2 because I don't think I've seen the first one where he's like just truly scary. You know, it's so funny because Terminator 2, I remember so much because of its technological breakthrough and special effects with a program that was called Morph. Now, interestingly, I was lucky enough to have this program when I was a kid, and so I could actually scan two photographs in, and I could morph people's faces. Uh, so this was the same program that was used when they created Robert Patrick's character. It almost sounds like we're doing a podcast on Terminator now, but I wanted to talk about this. So it was a technological breakthrough with its use of morph because they used CGI in such a way that it was a real game changer. If you remember, they took the T-1000 and they made him liquid metal. And so whether he was morphing himself as a checkerboard board floor and... There was one guy standing on him. There were a lot of twins cast in this, uh, in this movie as a result of him being able to mimic other human beings. But uh, it was a technological breakthrough. And because of it, certain breakthroughs were enabled for a movie called Jurassic Park that would also be a, a pretty, pretty big game changer. So one of the things that I, I, I want to bring this up is the special effects of this movie. Now... The Seven Mile Bridge between Florida and the Florida Keys. What were your thoughts in those scenes when you saw this thing blown up? I felt bad for all the other people that were going to be behind them trying to go to and from on vacation. <laughs> I was thinking, actually, in my mind. But talking about the special effects, I wanted to talk about that as well. Because before we get into specifics, I mean, I was blown away by what they did in this movie. And this movie is old. I mean, I was just like... Are you kidding me? They they did this stuff without the technology that we have today. How did they do this? Did they shoot it? I mean, for real? Obviously, they didn't really blow up that. I hope they didn't really blow up that bridge for this movie. I don't know. You said the movie budget was how many million? 115 million. 
Um, so maybe they did. Maybe that was in the budget along with renting the Harriers. I can answer that question okay. for you. Believe it or not, at the time, the Seven Mile Bridge had been replaced. So there was a Seven Mile Bridge, an old one, where certain parts of it had been exploded already. And so what they did was they built a model at 80% scale. So they built a model for shooting and then they also used sections of the blown up bridge to shoot. And then it would, the gaps were filled in with CGI. And so to answer your question, yes, they used part of the real seven mile bridge, um, the old one. And they really did blow up the bridge with missiles and explosives for the footage that they used. But it was the model that they had built. But this was pr- right before this guy was about to sink. I think 200, almost 300 million for another movie called Titanic, building something to scale. So he was definitely pushing the edge of technology. Well, and that's just so impressive because, I mean, nowadays people don't do that because you can do it all on computers and it looks, you know, you you can hardly tell the difference. And so I just think it's amazing that these directors go through the effort and that these things are done and some of the things that are shot, even with the actresses, the stunts that are done then, I just feel like these older movies have a lot more of that stuff because that's all they had. That, I mean, what they can't have special effects like, oh, we'll just add this in later. A lot of people think that that's why, well, storyline was another reason, but that's why the latest Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull failed. Was, I mean, we saw CGI monkeys and we're like, what? What is this? Because we're not we're just not used to seeing. I mean, we saw a little bit of CGI in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade at the end. I'm sure there was some sporadically here and there, but the technology, you were right, was not there at the time. But this is what's so interesting and so amazing about James Cameron is he's constantly pushing the envelope of what is possible. So I'm gonna say this guy's not just cutting edge. I mean, this guy's on the bleeding edge of technology. This guy has gone so far to where, I mean, he goes to, from here to Titanic and then from the Titanic to Avatar. And I mean, the wonders that were recreated for Avatar. I mean, and now he's got Avatar 2, 3, and 4 in the works because he's shooting them together. Is I'm, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen next because he is an innovator. And you're right because there are some directors out there that are just directors. but he is very much an innovator and constantly looking for new ways to improve filmmaking and story. Well, it's impressive. And in this movie, I was impressed by the special effects, especially. So we talked about the Harriers. We talked about them blowing up a bridge. There were some neat scenes where the Harrier was cutting through some skyscrapers. Were they in Miami? I think they were in downtown Miami. And I, I just thought, wow, he just shredded that building. I, I expected the top half is going to fall off, but it, it was pretty cool to see that. And I must say that I, I believe that the movie is rated R. I didn't see that many reasons why it should have been rated R. I think it could really be PG-13 today. What are your thoughts? I think it's because of language. I think there was a couple of... There were a few F-bombs here and there, but they did cut out the nude scene. Apparently, originally, the strip tease was going to... Ha- feature nudity but that was cut out so yeah i'm curious like i said i do remember some f-bombs uh maybe it had to do with loss of life just because i mean we see a lot of people kind of mowed down they don't really show or 
honor the sanctity of life in this movie. Right. I mean, a lot of people were killed, but there wasn't anything super gory. Right. It was, there were a couple of things where I turned away. I don't remember, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't awful. It's probably just a little bit of everything added up to the uh, radar R rating. Probably. I think one of the things that I liked about it was, I think it made just for a great date movie because I was really surprised going back and seeing how much time was spent developing the relationship between Harry and Helen. And and so I thought it was funny that during the movie that you, Letty, actually commented and said, wow, we've kind of left the whole terrorism thing in the and put that on the back burner. We're really focusing on their marriage here. Yes, yes. I definitely did say that about their marriage. I was just so surprised. I thought, I was like, I thought this was an action movie. And now it's turning into, as we stated at the beginning of the podcast, this is turning into a love movie. And then out of nowhere, boom, it all kind of comes together at the culmination of the movie. Yeah, it, they ended it so well. And they ended it in a, such a way that it would have made a great franchise. And interestingly enough, they did have one in the works. But after 9-11... James Cameron, the director and, and writer of the script, said that that's not something he wanted to revisit as far as uh, making entertainment-wise. With terrorism, you mean? Right, right. Yeah, that's, well, that's definitely understandable as far as terrorism is concerned, but it'd still be nice. I feel like you could spy on other things. Right, well, he's, he's off, you know, creating languages for Navi and creating worlds now. I mean, I feel like he's kind of doing what George Lucas did with Star Wars. He's he's now doing with Avatar. He's got his own universe to be worried about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, let's go ahead and jump to our rating, shouldn't we? All right. Well, I'm going to give it, I mean, hmm, I was entertained. I was extremely entertained. How about you? I was extremely entertained as well. I'm going to say this is a 10 for me, a solid 10. I, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I have to give it a 10. Because it was entertaining in every way and um, left me wanting more. Yes, I concur. Uh, and just to stick with tradition, who would we recommend this movie to? Well, I guess we could say who should we not recommend this movie to? Because I think in general, everyone would enjoy this movie, but you could probably exclude a small group. Let's see. I would not recommend this to people who don't like action movies. <laughs> so if you're a sense and sensibility type or Pride and Prejudice starring Colin Firth, the A&E 30-hour one, whatever it is, if that's your cup of tea, probably not the movie for you, True Lies. Yeah, but I'm going to disagree with that because there was so much, like you said, this was really a love story in addition to being an action movie. So I think if you enjoy romance, then this might still be up your alley. It might be. It could be. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. This is a really great date movie, I would say, because it's got, you know, the romance and all that stuff. Yeah, but it also has the action. Go see it tonight. Yes. Tonight. Download it. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I would not recommend this for, because it is rated R, children. And, you know, they don't show any complete nudity, but there's some skin shown. And not by Arnold, unfortunately. Yeah, you see faces everywhere. It's insane. <laughs> it's all over the place, people. Skin. <laughs> uh, but, you know, language, shooting, stuff we talked about earlier. You know, the right, radar ratings. Right. I, I, was, I was a little like, whoa. I mean, she, she's really going at it with this, this strip scene. And it was funny to, uh, to read that Arnold was asked by his, his wife about it. And he 
responded by saying, I hated every hour of it. Made you wonder how many times they had to shoot that. But I did think that it was funny that as she started dancing on the pole of the bed, that she fell off. And it was even (laughs) funnier to find out that that was unscripted and happened and was kept in for the film. Yeah, that was hilarious. Which just, I think that that's a perfect kind of, uh, you know, if you were to take a snapshot of this movie, I mean, that's how it was. It was, you know, romantic. It was trying to be sexy. It was trying to be like an action, you know, Arnold's faking to be this tough guy in this, in this scene. And you can kind of see him like hiding in the shadows. And then in the middle of the scene, she just <laughs> fell on the right. floor and then sets like up again. It was so funny. So you can kind of just, that's a great little, you know, 10 second clip of how the whole movie really was. Well, it has all the makings of what was and kind of still is a summer blockbuster. So it goes on to make, I believe, 146, 146 million in domestically, just over 300 million worldwide, uh, over 80 million on video cassette. So they made some money off of this one. Well, I'm glad. And if you haven't seen it and you're listening, obviously, you're hopefully old enough to be listening to podcasts and watch this movie because it's a fun movie. So. Go see it. Yes. True lies. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We're so glad that you tuned in to listen to us just chatter on and on because that's what we like to do. All right. Well, we'll wrap up this episode of Popcorn and Pickles. Thank you again for joining us. Yes. If you have not subscribed, I'm sure you have subscribed by this point if you're listening to this episode. I don't even know what number we're on. Episode eight, probably. Subscribe if you have not. Check out, we are on growlermedia.com. We are on Facebook. My energy was brought to you tonight by Monster Ultra Red Energy and Willy Wonka. I, I just cannot bring myself to, to talk about this, but I looked at my box of pixie sticks and they've removed Willy Wonka from the box. Can you believe it? Now it says Nestle. And now this box of nerds, I'm, it just says Nestle. It no longer says Wonka. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I'm writing Nestle a letter. I'm going to write a letter. On that sad note, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. This is really good. What is it? Ah, it's top ramen. It's so good. It's so delicious. Did you know that with top ramen, by eating one, you satisfy your body's sodium demands by 5,000%. So just imagine if you ate three of these blocks a day, having 15,000 times the amount of sodium that your body needs how do you fix that what do you do you drink gatorade i mean i don't know i don't know what do you do so anyway but uh, but this is definitely i mean i mean we, we let's talk about being poor for a second okay poor i was so poor as a kid growing up in brooklyn that uh to make tomato soup my mother would put in government ketchup into boiling water. That's how poor we were. All right. We were so poor. We used to break up our ramen blocks into quarters and uh, ration it for the whole day. That's how poor we were. And so, you I feel like I'm living on the hog. You know what I mean?
because I kind of have ramen noodles on demand. It's kind of nice. I don't know where Letty is right now. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.